Welcome back to Torsky Tuesdays. I am your host, Hananya Abraham, and we are in the middle of reading Dr. Torsky's book, Happiness and the Human Spirit, The Spirituality of Becoming the Best You Can Be. In our last episode, we finished up Chapter 7, talking about the concepts of acceptance of the situation that we're in and of that being something that is important as a key component of self-fulfillment and therefore happiness. And today we are going to continue in Chapter 8 and the ability to improve. Dr. Torsky starts Chapter 8 with a parable. If you have a small automobile that has a four-cylinder engine that can generate, say, 60 horsepower, you may not be able to burn up the road, but you will reach your destination with a fairly comfortable ride. On the other hand, if you have an automobile with a powerful V8 engine that can generate 300 horsepower, but two of the eight cylinders are not functioning, you may have a very uncomfortable ride. Although the six functioning cylinders may generate 200 horsepower, more than three times the amount of the smaller car, the ride will not be smooth. The non-functioning cylinders may cause the car to vibrate. Of course, the engine cannot feel anything. It is you, the passenger, who will be uncomfortable. Seeing that the thing that's performing is not doing what it's supposed to will make the person, the individual themselves, feel uncomfortable. Four-cylinder versus eight-cylinder people. Some people are four-cylinder people that they have limited ways of going about things, and then there are people that are eight-cylinder. They have much greater potential in life in itself. If the latter do not try to exercise all of their eight cylinders, they will be less happy than the four-cylinder people who, though they might do and achieve less, are likely to be content because they are using all of their cylinders. In general, I think... The example that he gives is an interesting one. I probably would have done a little bit different and talk about, let's say, someone's bank account. You know, if let's say you have someone has uh, a bank account that constantly has a set amount of money in it. Let's say that every single month they, they save up $1,000. So they know at the end of every single year there's going to be $1,200 in there. And they don't spend any money. But yet they are able to go ahead and see at the end of the year that they have $1,200. Their bank account is quote-unquote full. But then you have someone else that is putting in money but also taking out sometimes a little bit more than they're putting in. So that by the end of the year, instead of having, let's say, $5,000 a month and therefore having $60,000 at the end of the year, they only have $5,000 because of their, of their spending habits. They're not, they, they would not have that same content feeling. Yes, they might still have more money than the person that only has 1200 But because of what they know they can do, but they don't have, therefore they're not in the position to be as content as a person that only has 1200 So that's an example that Dr. Torsky brings. And I, I understand what he's saying, and I think it's a very, very good point. So let's continue with what he's saying over here. Here's a case that illustrates my point. Stephen was a very, very bright law student who fulfilled a class uh, prediction that he would be the most likely to to succeed. He developed a law firm with a staff of 42 lawyers and presented a number of, of major corporations. He was proud of his home and his Jaguar, his car. Stephen's wife complained that he had no time for her or their children because he often worked late hours at the office. 
He lives for the firm, not for, earth, not for us, she would say. His wife was an active in a number of community organizations, but he ridiculed her participation. His charity was essentially limited to the mandatory gift to United Way, one of the charities. Stephen's son, Barry, entered law school and did well. At the end of his second year, however, he shocked his parents by declaring that he was dropping out of law school. Convinced that the young man must be having a mental crisis, they sent him to me for a psychiatric evaluation. Barry was pleasant and completely coherent and appropriate in the interview. He denied feeling depressed. He said that while initially he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, he had begun rethinking this in the beginning of his second year. I know I could be a good lawyer, Barry said, but I don't want to emulate my father. I respect him for his brilliance and his accomplishments, but I don't see being the head of a large law firm as my goal in life. I love my father, so I hate to say this, but all he is is a lawyer, not really a person. I am not particularly a religious person, but I don't think that people are created only to perform at work. There has got to be something more to life. My dad is not a happy man, continued Barry. His preoccupation with the firm is his escape. Many of his cohorts drink heavily. He doesn't. The firm, but he doesn't. The firm itself is his alcohol. Even when we're on vacation, he is in constant contact with the office. The office doesn't need him. He needs his, the office. How many people do we know that are so connected and affiliated with who they are as their identity based on their work that they don't get a chance to live life? This is why it always bothers me when I hear the question when you're meeting someone and they're trying to make light conversation, which in general I have a hard concept with. Just You don't need to make light conversation all the time. It's okay to be quiet and be just pleasant with the person and just ruminate in your own thoughts and meditate in that situation. We don't have to talk all the time, but I digress a little bit. The question of, okay, so what do you do? What do you mean, what do I do? I, I live, I breathe, I'm a human being. Yeah, yeah, but what, like, what do you do? Well, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I help my community, I hopefully am doing a good job with my kids and my marriage, I'm a spiritual person. Yeah, but what do you do? I'm sorry, do you mean, like, what do I do for a living? How do I bring in money? Oh, okay, that's what you meant. Okay, so, well, I'm a a psychotherapist, but that doesn't define me. It doesn't make me who I am. Hopefully, who I am as a human being, how I treat others, how my kids, how my wife connect and have a relationship with me. That's how what I, quote-unquote, do. So that's why it always bothered me, that question, and I think... You know, you see Barry here in this story is seeing that concept of being a lawyer was his father's addiction. I don't want to end up feeling miserable, continued Barry, like my dad, looking for something or some kind of escape. I'm not sure what I'll do. I may even, may even, I may even decide to go back to law school in the future. If they'll take me. Right now, I want to take some time off and find out what life is really about and what I am all, and what I am all about. I have to find a goal that makes sense for me. I cannot detect any pathology in Barry. He was not unrealistic. He had no desire to become a beachcomber. 
He knew that he had to have a career and he did not dismiss the law as a possibility. But he thirsted for something more in his life than his dad had found. Barry's search was leading him in the direction of happiness. I think this is something that uh, I might have even mentioned here a little bit, but I think one of the things that come to mind is um, if anyone has that opportunity, and I, and I would highly recommend reading uh, the famed psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, reading his book, well, he has a few books, but his most famous book is Man's Search for Meaning and his concept that he created called Logotherapy. But he first talks about what he went through as in four different concentration camps and then how he was still able to have meaning in life for who he is and who he was after the war. That search for something meaningful brings about and a purpose that is what creates a happiness. And that's exactly what, what, what Barry's doing. He's looking and searching for more. Doesn't want to be tied down and made prisoner by his career and by being a lawyer. Not that being a lawyer is a bad thing. It's not at all. But at the same time, that's not how, what a person should be defined by, by their job. Our personality cylinders are the, are the various human uh, potentials. Let me read that again to make sure I understand it. Our personality cylinders are the various human potentials. These include not only our innate talents and skills, but also our, our potential to be spiritual. Now I understand that better. I actually don't understand that sentence fully. Anyone that has an explanation, please you know, reach out an email. Our personality cylinders are the various human potentials, meaning the different potentials that we have in different areas of whatever it is that we do, those are our cylinders. And when a person is, quote-unquote, running on all cylinders, meaning that they've fulfilled their potentials but are content in their situation, that's when you have that four-engine car that's getting you there to the place that you need to go properly without any hiccups or anything in the way. Stephen escaped from, his, uh, from the discomfort, uh, discomfort of the unused spiritual cylinder by, including, by indulging in work. Barry was more fortunate, sensing that happiness requires functioning with all his cylinders, and he ventured out to find the missing cylinder. So I guess using the analogy and applying it to the father and seeing how he lived his life, he sort of had a V12 even, but yet was so concentrated on the eight cylinders of work, the other two cylinders, I'm sorry, the other four, other four cylinders were never even able to work in the first place because they never had a place to ever work in. Here you are, here is his son Barry, who was able to see for himself this concept. Hey, I want more. There's got to be more to it. Automatically, the way he's going to go about doing whatever it is that he wants to shows that he's using all of his cylinders and that he's able to go ahead and live life more than just for that job. Let's continue a little further over here on page 65. Ambition versus proving yourself. If we are doing many good things, that contributes to being the best person we can be, right? Yes, but not always. Ironically, people who seem to be doing it a lot of good may actually be detracting from self-fulfillment and, and spirituality. The distinction lies in whether they were seeking approval or following their ambition. 
There's a very big difference between the two, and that's what he's going to discuss over here. An ambitious person, person does things because he or she has the ability to do them, wants to do them, and enjoys doing them. A classic example of this is the nursing mother who feels uncomfortable until the infant starts nursing, which relieves her discomfort. Several hours later, when her milk supply has been deplenished, she again feels discomfort. She wishes to give to the infant because she has the nourishment to give and is uncomfortable if the infant does not take it from her. So there's a personal sense of not feeling good, but also wanting to do something. That brings about a, a, a certain ambition and a certain sense of purpose and therefore a happiness. Another example is a teacher who enjoys sharing his knowledge with his students. The more questions they ask, the more he is stimulated to teach. I can recall teachers who probably would have taught even without a salary if it were not for the, if for, for the need to support a family. They taught because they loved to teach. I know I could speak of a few teachers that I can, I can say I've had that. I can even take it a step further. Uh, in my career that I've had as a, as a therapist, and even being in therapy myself, I have, I have met a few therapists that would also work for out, for out without an, a, a paycheck just because they loved helping people and they loved doing what they do. And I think when a person is in that predicament to do something just because they, they want to, Let's just say, in majority of cases, being a parent. We're not paid to be a parent. Our payment is seeing our child grow up in a home that's healthy, happy, good for the child, productive, and in a way where they're able to be the best versions of themselves. That's the only payment that we get. And honestly, we don't need them more and want more than that. There's a certain enjoyment that we get from seeing our children happy. I'll never forget um, hearing from my uncle one time, and uh, who recently was actually just diagnosed with uh, COVID, so hopefully he has a fast re- uh, recovery. And telling me that he loved, you know, weekends where he was able to, or holidays that he was off, he loved taking his kids to like the merry-go-round and the Ferris wheel and you know, the little carnival stuff. He said because all the work that he puts in, the days that he doesn't see his kids, the five o'clock wake-ups, all those things, and everything in between, all those hardships. All of those things are worth it when he gets to take his kid on the merry-go-round and he sees his kid face, his kid's face lighting up. He said it's worth it for, just for that smile. And I remember at the time hearing for that, I was, I was a teenager myself and I didn't understand what he was talking about. It wasn't until I became a parent on my own that I was able to see that. I was able to realize that a person needs to want to be a parent to the point where you obviously do it for free and you're like, heck yeah, I'm going to do this. That's maybe a separate discussion that we can have or maybe a different podcast regarding how does a person get to that level of being a parent. But at the same time, what we're talking about is a person putting themselves in a predicament to want to do that thing that they're doing. That brings about a sense of purpose and therefore that can bring about a sense, sense of happiness. We're going to stop here. This is actually like in the middle of a piece over here, but I think it's a good place to stop. And we will continue on this point of giving over to others next time we meet. Thank you so much for joining me on this new awesome journey of mine and creating a podcast. We have just finished episode 22. Wow, amazing. I welcome all questions, critiques, comments that you might have. 
please email me at koshercounseling at gmail.com.